Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. All right, everybody, this is Kevin. Welcome to another episode of the Launch University Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of being with Laura Quick. She is the founder and CEO of Good Grit Magazine, a magazine that does authentic storytelling about the modern South, the people who live there, the food we eat, the places we travel. Um, If you are new to this podcast, let me just tell you right now that every single person who's a part of this podcast is a proud Southerner. And so we all represent it with a, a great deal of pride. And so it's cool to have, I would say, one of the leading champions for the South on the podcast today. Laura, thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for inviting me. And also, what a great intro. Like, I love thinking of myself as a champion for the authentic South that we know is is here. So, Well, I think that, yeah, I think your reputation precedes you in oh. that regard. So I, I'm known for probably being the, the guy on the podcast. When they do interviews with guests, I do a lot of digging. I just feel like, you know what, you're giving me your time. I just want to make sure that you feel like I'm not giving you all the t-ball questions that you might get asked with everybody else. But one of the first things I discovered was that you have been recently married. And, yeah. I, and I was like, what? This is so exciting. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just got married in November. How's uh, newlywed to, life? You know what? It's um, simultaneously the most magical, amazing, incredible, but also super challenging because you're figuring someone out and you think you know everything when you're dating, then you start living together and doing life and we both have children. And so we're learning to like co-parent and I'm learning like that. He likes to take his socks off and leave them on the porch. Like, <laughs> uh, I personally first learned of good grip magazine in the fall of 2017 um, through okay. some of my friends at plow with people. And then I met some of your team members who were at the, who were on stage at uh, the 2018 gumption conference here in Franklin, Tennessee uh, with yeah. one of our guests, Chris Thomas. And then when I was given the opportunity to interview you, I was like, okay, yes. Okay. This is, I, I have to make this happen. Let's do this. And, and one of the things that jumped out, um, early to me was that you created this fresh business. You know, I, I would say you brought an air of freshness to a business in a mature market. I don't think anyone would say that the magazine industry has, you know, is not a mature market. But yet you do have a, an energy around what you're doing that most people who I who've talked about you to me talk about it with this cool zeal of like, yeah, this is new thing happening. And I was like, well, well, how, how do you do that? You know, so first, what is Good Grit Magazine? What is it all about? And then we'll kind of unpack this idea of building a new business in a mature market. Yeah, so it's funny because I think we when I started Good Grit, it was my our very first issue was July of 2015. Mm. So we're celebrating four years. We just wanted to print with our fourth Wonderlust, which is incredible. Um, And so we're kind of over that like scary hump, especially in this industry. Um, But when, when we first went to print, I think what I thought Good Grit was, um, is really different than what I think Good Grit is now. Mm. Um, because I recently had someone ask me if there's good grit, then does that mean there's bad grit? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it does. That's actually what that means. Um, but I don't think I had that perspective five years ago Mm -hmm. when this conceptually came together. Um, 
I think I only know that there's bad grit now because I've met so many overcomers with damn good stories. Wow. Which is our kind of, that's our new like tagline. That's what we're leaning into that this is a brand, not just a magazine, but we're a brand that values an overcomer with a damn good story. That's awesome. Giving them a platform to tell those stories means that we all get liberated and we all get to look at someone who said, wow, they fell on their face. Something really crazy happened. They went through a turbulent season in their life. And instead of going for me, this happens all the time, or I can't believe this has happened. They went, Hey, you know what? I'm better. I'm better. Mm. I went through that thing and it really stunk, but now I'm on the other side of it. And I can see that I have good grit now. Mm. That's awesome. So, well, first of all, that's, well, now I have more questions, but I, I won't, you said, you said it's a thing you're leaning into. So I'll wait like everybody else to, for the unveiling that's going to take place as you all do that. Yeah. Um, but we also want to learn more about you I, you know, and, and how you got here. I think through my research, one of the things that I learned was that your work has been guided by a passion for people and, and that you discovered in college. And I was like, wow, well, first of all, first, is that true? And if so, like what happened that you feel revealed the passion for people um, within your own life? Um, I don't know if I found that in college. I think I found that. Um, so I had my son in college okay. and it's an interesting story because obviously no Southern girl goes to college thinking that she's going to have a baby going into her junior year. Yeah. That was definitely not how I saw my life playing out, although I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I think that the week before I found out I was pregnant, which was really, really scary. But the week before that, I had this cat that I had adopted and I kept losing the cat. Hmm. Literally, the cat would run away. Cats are not supposed to run away, by the way. They're supposed to be like fiercely loyal. They stay in your house and they're just like there, but not there. Well, I thought the cat ran away again. And actually, I had locked the cat in the refrigerator on accident. Jeez. I know this sounds like a really scary story, but (laughs) he was like cold, but fast forward a week, I found out I was pregnant and I remember going, wait, God, are you sure? Cause like, I don't, I'm not responsible enough for like a cat. Yeah. (laughs) And so now I'm really concerned about this little baby thing. Um, and I will say this, I think that that experience, it definitely expedited me discovering what I was really good at. Mm. Um, And I think that through understanding that I was really good at people and relationships that I also, as I've matured and gotten wiser over the years, I realized that what that means is I really, really genuinely believe in people. Mm -hmm. And when I see them, regardless of what their story is, I tend to err on believing the best in other people because fortunately for me being in the South and being from a more traditional area of the South, um, people still believe the best in me when maybe it looked like my story was really, really messy. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, that's incredible. Um, in a lot of ways, another story we can probably unpack. So, so you spend a decade in sales and marketing. I'm just curious, like, how did you end up there and then clearly thrive in it for a decade? That's a great question. 
And I think it's a little more complicated than just, I figured it out because I like thrived or found a great job. I mean, the truth is that once I had Clay, who's my son, um, I realized that I needed to find a job and it did need to have flexibility, but I really loved working. I'd work, I've, I've had a job in some capacity since I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad worked two and three jobs the whole time growing up. He'd always have like his main thing and then like one or two like side hustles. And he'd always look at me and my siblings and say like, you guys are going to go to school, get a better education. And you're going to do something great with your life. And so when I dropped out of college, like my parents were like, why is this happening to us? Yeah. Like, what have done all the things? And so I think I had this kind of like very deep seated drive to, to prove that it was going to be okay. Um, and I, I always, so when we do intern orientation, I'm very intentional with our interns because I love to tell them the story of my internship season. Mm-hmm. That's what I call it now. And, and I also say this as just kind of a precursor to any story that I share, the ones that especially sound make me sound like a complete lunatic, like locking a cat in a fridge is just because I've successfully kept a child alive for 16 years. So I feel like I can be like, see, I'm fine. It's a cat. <laughs> when I tell you guys this, when I, when I tell my interns this, um, they all kind of look at me like I have three heads, but I think it's really important um, because I didn't have the luxury of an of internships through college, I really needed to figure out what I was good at. Um, and this should have been like a huge warning sign that I was an entrepreneur, but I literally had, so from the year 21 to 22, I had 12 jobs. Wow. And I don't want you to think that I had this amazing work ethic and I was working with like them at the same time. No, no. I literally would start a job and be like, I am not good at this job. I don't think I can do it anymore. And I always look at my interns and say, hey, (laughs) that's what internships are for. Mm. They are for you to take a season of your life and to dig in and be faithful, even if you do not believe this is something you're going to do with the rest of your life. Mm. Because what plants inside of you is a deep empathy for people who are going to have strengths that are different than yours. Um. And so my season of internship was, was completely different and not something I recommend, but I would start these jobs and think, oh, this is going to be great. I remember I tried to be an office manager and I was like, oh my heavens, I'm going to crash this company. Like I'm going (laughs) to do goes out of business if they keep letting me do these like detail oriented things. And so I realized very quickly, I wasn't good at details. Um, and so I landed my first sales job, which was actually, I was in the car business and I was doing like service advisor stuff. Um, but it was a high end car dealership. So I worked for Land Rover Jaguar, I actually worked for Jaguar and then they acquired Land Rover. Mm-hmm. So I got to do both. And I think I, because I had that year of like figuring out what, what am I good at? Um, I was always really respectful to people and I loved them deeply. And I always went to my bosses and I was just like, I just don't think I'm the right person for this. I'm well, I'm happy to stay. And they were normally like, thank God, you know that and we don't have to figure out how to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the long and short of that is once I landed in the car business and I had an opportunity, I had dealt with pretty much every aspect of people. Mm. I worked some jobs that were dealing with people like 
I had one job where I was selling mufflers. Literally, I sold mufflers. It was, I can't even talk about it. But <laughs> I mean, I was an office manager. I tried to be a bookkeeper for a little while. It was a crazy mess. But at the end of that, I and I say all this, I know I sound like a lunatic, but I'm saying it because I want you, I want to express to people that it took a lot of trial and error. I just happened to do mine in one year to figure out that I was really good at it. And I'm always encouraging young people to take a job or especially part-time jobs or summer jobs or internships that you think is a terrible fit for you. Because if you would have told me I would have been in sales and marketing for 10 years when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, I would have said, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm going to, I would have said, I'm going to be a physical therapist because that's what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I always encourage them to do that because it, it helps you. And it's, it's supposed to, to show you equally what you are good at. Mm-hmm. And the polar opposite of that is what we're not good at. So you want to do more of what you are good at and stay away from the things that you aren't good at if you can. So that's kind of the, in the mix of that, in the mm-hmm. mix of that and landing in a position. So I went from car business and then went to outside sales. And I did that. I made that switch in 2006. Um, and that was the company that I grew with. I stayed in that same industry, which was the restoration industry for almost 10 years. Wow. Um, and I started as just this outside salesperson. And I was so pumped because I had been working like 12 hours a day, six days a week, because that's what the car business kind of required. And this guy's like, you're going to have freedom of your schedule and you're going to be able to make your own schedule and, I, and you're going to get to spend more time with your son. And I was like, Yay! and he said to me, all you have to do is sell a quarter million dollars in sales. And it was dry cleaning. So I didn't even, I was like, dry cleaning's magic. And I never spend more than $30. So I have no idea how I'm going to sell that much. Sure. Um, but He was like, if you do a quarter million dollars a year, you'll make what you're making. You're going to have a company car. You're going to, and I was like, this is awesome. I mean, I'll figure that out. And my first year I did $750,000 in sales. Wow. Yeah. The next year I was the number one sales and marketing rep in in seven countries. Wow. Yeah. And so the year after that, they were elevating me to like different levels. And then it was only two years before I was a national sales and marketing manager for a company closely related in the same industry. So, so I mean, okay. So, okay. First of all, I love the story. I don't think I don't, well, I don't see three heads when I hear you talk about, um, it's, you know, thank you, Kevin. It, it was true. That. It's true. I don't I mean, I'm, I'm like, wow, that's such a great idea of anything. I think that that's a powerful idea for us to, and you know, I mean, obviously my, I have a buddy of mine who worked for Johnson and Johnson and mm-hmm. as soon as he got hired, you know, they moved him around multiple people, multiple, multiple places in the company to see where he would fit, you know, uh, and, yeah. and gave him a chance to do that. I had another friend of mine who worked for Microsoft, same, same, similar experience within the context of the organization. And I think it's cool that you maybe, you know, unbeknownst to yourself, but almost manufacture that experience. Okay. I, now, now I'm heading into my early twenties and I have a much stronger understanding of who I am and what I, and, and, and what I can do, uh, compared to my peers, which I think is pretty powerful. The other thing you said this now, which was, okay, then I finally get, my sweet spot and I'm, and they give me some opportunity and I just start to crush it. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm asking myself, okay, well, the goal might've motivated you to go work hard and figure it out. But once you figured it out that first year, you, you kept pushing and, and refined that ability. 
for you, was that a process of mentorship? Was that a process of just, no, I'm just learning so fast by doing the work and getting, you know, and the no's that might come with this job that I'm improving rapidly? Like, because I'm thinking, wow, that's a, to go to have a quarter million goal and hit three quarters and then be the leader in seven countries, something is when you clearly is happening. Yeah. You know, um, so the guy I worked for that time, his name is Chris Funk. Um, and he was only like two or three years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so he had bought his first, uh, <laughs> I used to make fun of him cause he went to Flagler university and I'm like, that's not even a real, is that like a resort? Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, cause it's like right when it went from like an all girls school to like co-ed, but he like just was this crazy entrepreneurial spirit, mm. uh, but he was young. And I think he saw something in me that I really couldn't see in myself. Mm. And that was just that I had, I had this crazy drive that most kids my age wouldn't have because I had a son and I was a single mom. And so like, I was having to figure out a lot of things that most people could take more time or, you know, um, but not me. I had to make it happen. And then also I had that, I need to prove to my parents that I'm, I'm, Okay. I mean, I'm not going to have a PhD like my sister, but you know, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there were two things, those two things. And then there was another, and that was that he saw something in me and he believed if he just gave me a goal and the tools I needed, um, that I was smart enough and brave enough to come to him if I needed something, That's beautiful. but that he was smart enough. Well, he might tell you he wasn't that smart for getting completely out of my way. He always called me the storm. He was like, Laura's just like a hurricane that you just want to go in the right direction, like away from the, (laughs) just keep her out in the water. So, um, and, and I think he just knew that. And he did a lot of like, there were corporate people that would say like, put your girl on a leash. She's doing, she's not following protocol. Like you need to do this again. I didn't know what an entrepreneur looked like that back then, but I was always that sure. girl who was disrupting and breaking the rules, not hurting anyone. Just like, I don't know why that exists. So I'm just going to go as far as I can until somebody's like, don't do that. You know? Yep. Um, and so he would always be like, Hey, she's breaking every goal I've ever set for her. She's, she's busting down all of these like barriers we thought were in this industry. And wow. Guys just need to leave her alone and so he fought for me and yeah. i think like that kept me so like i was so loyal i was running my division of that company like it was my own company sure. that's how I was. so that's awesome great leader. great leader i mean i feel so thankful for that season of my life i worked for chris for four and a half years and he was um maybe even five i mean it was a while but it was the most fun and, and he was a great leader and his wife was really kind. His family was amazing. And so it was mm. just a really good influence all the way around. That's awesome. First of all, yeah. thank you for sharing so much detail. I think that, um, you know, this podcast has a lot of entrepreneurial listeners. And I think that, um, I think hearing, hearing just the power of finding one person, obviously you're the leader, hopefully, but finding that right leader match means that you can thrive at an organization. Maybe at some point you, you, you need to go out on your own. And, but, but it sounds like because of how you were treated, you know, your decision to go out on your own had a lot less to do with a bad leader, which I think is a powerful thing to say out loud. Now, one of the things I also read was just that, you know, you already, you started a consulting business on the side 
yeah. while you're doing this. And so, um, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are listening are probably have a couple of side hustles. So I'm just curious, first of all, just like what kind of, what kind of clients were you serving at the time with your, with your side business and, and what did you kind of learn? I mean, you specialize in business development. So what did you, what did you learn about companies during that time as well? Uh, you know, I, I always love to give people the advice, especially if they're on the edge, if they think they have a good idea and they want to try it. Um, I'm just a big fan of AB testing, mm. test, 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 test. And although this is such, we are living in probably what I would consider the best climate to start a company. And if you're young, man, go for it, right? Like I want you to, I'm, I will be your cheerleader. Do it, do it. But if there's a way that you can try and you can test some things and you can figure out and you can get a stream of revenue coming to you before you give up your main thing, that is always the advice I give. Do not give up your main thing until you have at least tested and know that it will bring in money. Yeah. Because I had lots of ideas that did not result in a paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) um, I think, you know, I was consulting for people within my industry, which made it really easy Yeah, because I had a reputation that people knew. And, um, and even if, they didn't know, know me. I could call them and like we were one degree, two degrees separated. And so that always helps. Yeah. Um, but it didn't take long. I mean, I was six or seven months to like leaving my main job and like just doing consulting. Um, and consulting was pretty vapid for me, you know, and I always joke and say that sales and marketing people, when they leave corporate and they start their own company, they're always consultants because we think we know everything. Sure. Like, you know, I'm over here just like knowing all the things. So call me, <laughs> um, which was hilarious because I would go into meetings and pe- people would be like, hey, do you do SEO? And I'm like, yes, leave meeting, Google SEO. <laughs> Who does search engine optimization? Like I was selling things that I didn't know what I was doing. So it's constantly like hiring the best I could find to do these things I had sold. So it wasn't making any, any money because you're trying to be excellent in that area. But I was really just, I had figured out how to make money consulting for people who knew me and trusted me. Mm. And then I was trying to morph this other side of my company so I could have, you know, like scalability, um, which is how the magazine came into play. Well, well that's a perfect segue because I, because I'm, I'm, cause I'm curious um, just a little bit about what you learned about yourself that made you say, okay, I'm going to, you know, amongst all the ideas I have and all the things I'm working on, I'm now going to create, um, create good grit because I mean, and I'm in, so separate of the market opportunity, cause I think it's fascinating to me because you're saying, Hey, I learned all this stuff about myself, 12 jobs, one year, 12 experiences in one year. You know, then I start working in this sales job. I'm killing it. I'm having a good time. Good leader hustling on the side. That's going well. And now I'm going to start a magazine. What about within yourself? Did you discover through this journey that made you drawn to this opportunity? Man, you know, I always, always wish this part of the story was better. And just listening to you recap all the things I've said, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already regretting telling people I had 12 jobs in one year. I think it's an incredible (laughs) story. Well, you have to know me to like appreciate that and be like, yes, I could see that and you're fine. But, um, okay. So I always wish this part of my story was like a little bit more intriguing. Um, 
I was, so I'm from Savannah, Georgia Mm -hmm. and I moved to Birmingham to start my business because I was visiting here when I was doing my national sales job and I just loved it. I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. Revitalization and localization had really happened in in Savannah before I was born. Mm. But when I would come to Birmingham to visit this bleeding market that I had that I was trying to fix, I saw something I'd never seen before. There was the spirit of entrepreneurship. There was a revitalization of the downtown. There was a food movement happening. It was awesome. Um, and so I rented my first office in this little town called Mountain Brook, Alabama, based solely off of demographics. It's like the fifth most philanthropic um, city in the, the country most wow. years. Yeah, it's insane. And so the demographic was really good. And I was like, oh, I could totally be like a fancy consultant in Mountain Brook. This is going to be great. Um, hilarious. Just a great plan all around. But it worked. I will say that. Now I was selling things. I didn't know what I was selling. And that's fine. Um, <laughs> so I'm there. I'm in this office. I am in a tiny 200 square foot office. And I share a waiting room. This is also hilarious. With two psychologist. Mm. There's two offices and I'm like, this is perfect because I for sure was going to need a therapist during this season of my life. <laughs> um, and the lady that used to, that used to have my office, she would get the New York times. So it still came and I would read it. And one day I was reading the New York times and there was an article about the food movement. There was even a mention of the Birmingham food movement and it was so well done. And I was like, uh, this is awesome. I mean, why are, why is New York doing such a great job telling these stories? And we're not. Mm. And I'm from Savannah. So Garden and Gun is in Charleston. This aspirational, really, really cool brand that I'd always loved. Um, and then there's Southern Living that was really, really down to earth. And I thought, there's really not this like authentic storytelling thing happening for this region, mm. you know? And um, that had a little bit of like a spin on it. I wanted to be kind of, I wanted to be a disruptor. I wanted to shake it up. I wanted, I wanted something that I felt like would represent me. Yeah. That's great. And Garden Gun is amazing, but it's, it was super aspirational. Yeah. And I don't bake. So the way I looked at Southern Living was like back then. Now I know it's, it's a beautiful magazine. It's got tons of great content. Um, so I just had this bird brain idea, like I'm going to start a magazine just because I read an article, not because I had this like great business concept that was born. I was just pissed because I was like, why are they doing so great? And we aren't, and we should do this. Oh, and also I had realized that being a consultant wasn't nearly as rewarding as I thought it was going to be because mm. most of the time you're going in and you're kind of the bad guy. You're mm. like, hey, this person's not performing. So I wanted to do something that made me feel good again. Yeah. Um, and so there were these two things that were kind of like happening at the same time. Mm. And I thought, Ooh, magazine sounds fun. So at this point, you have an idea for a magazine. You yeah. want to make this, you know, you want to make this happen. You're like, I'm going to go after it. So I, I think you kind of answered one of my questions, which was why would you launch a magazine in a crowded, you know, media landscape? And I think I love that. Hey, I just felt they weren't telling my stories, the stories I wanted to read and they weren't representing my lifestyle and the lifestyle I aspired to have. Is that an accurate summary of what you just said? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And I think it's evolved over time, right? Sure. I think 
one of the things that are, I believed, and I did do some research around this was, um, because when I said, I have this idea, I think I want to launch a magazine. People were like, what are you talking about? Print is dying. It's on the decline. You cannot do that. That is not Mm. smart. And I was like, I don't believe you now. This is the part where I always tell people this is a God thing. Okay. Because (laughs) I had never had a magazine subscription in my life before. I was the girl that bought a magazine at the airport or on the way to the beach or long road trips, whatever. But I, I wasn't a third generation you know, subscriber to Southern living. I wasn't a, my grandmother didn't do that for me. My mother didn't do that for me. I wasn't the girl who, um, who found out about garden gun and subscribed immediately, even through the turn, you know, their hard season. I, I wasn't her. I knew about them, but I wasn't that person. And so I really believe God was kind of like leading me, even though I didn't know he was, Mm. Um, because you genuinely have to be a lunatic to start a magazine. You do. You have to have like a wild streak of like deep seated crazy in you. I do luckily for the world now that knows good grit. But, um, I think that in the beginning it was just kind of a, I think there's a hole in the marketplace, which is what most entrepreneurs are about. They're about finding a hole and filling it. Um, and over time that has morphed into no, 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 there genuinely was not a voice representing this faith broad market, people who are hungry for, for someone to stand in front of them and go, Hey, we're more alike than we are different. Mm. Wow. So, and first of all, I mean, for, you know, I, I guess myself, I like magazines, uh, David on our team, he, he's a big magazine guy. I, yeah. But this is fascinating because, you know, once again, at the end of the day, you had, 10 years of marketing and sales experience and consulting organization on that. And then you connect with this deep feeling about this content and what could, what, and what it could be. Um, And so for me, for the less creative folks listening, I said, I'll put myself a little bit in this boat as well. What mean, what do you consider to be that gritty relatable content that, that, you know, that this kind of for authentic inspiration. Um, I think, well, that, that's actually a great word, what you just said, Kevin, inspiration. Um, I think that when I looked at the market, when I really did start doing research, one of the things that came about in the R&D was um, that all these people that were saying print was dying or it was dead or it was, what are you doing? Um, they were right for news, for for like people trying to digest something that's a little more vapid, a little more topical, a little more quick. Mm. Um, but for storytelling and something that was a little more niche, they were actually wrong. Um, and I always use record sales as, as an example here, because in the research, one of the things that emerged was people were so, especially the millennial generation there, they want you to tell you why, like, why, why should I buy it? Why, why are you doing it? Why is it important to me? Why, why should I care? But they also love to hold things in their hand. They love the idea of this like throwback. Mm. So record sales at an all-time high. Records are selling better today in 2019, and they were selling better in 2014 than they had been in the 60s in the height of when they existed. Mm. 
And so there was this proof that people wanted this like tactile, deeper experience because that's where the world was going. When we came out of the recession, people started to go, I don't want to spend my money on a $500 pair of jeans. I want to spend $500 to go on a trip with my friends and make a memory and have a photo that I can always remember that one time where we went to Jackson, Mississippi to the blues festival, whatever. Yeah. Right. And so there was this shift. And the reason I knew about that shift is because I was living that shift. Mm. I wasn't trying to develop something for people I didn't know or understand. I was one of these people. I was a seeker. I was looking for inspiration. I wasn't, I understood the aspiration of garden again. I understood the down to earth feeling of, of the Southern living more traditional space of Southern, what we believe Southern being a Southerner is, but I was like, but what about us? What about right now? Not mm. where I'm going, not where I came from, but like, what about meeting me right where I am? That's powerful. Yeah. And that's, that's what we've been trying to do ever since. And we, I feel like we're getting closer. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly you're doing something right. Uh, for those who don't know, Good Grid is distributed in 42 states and over 2,500 retailers, over 300,000 readers have a physical magazine. So clearly something's going right. Um, I am curious what, because you talked about, you know, Hey, I created something essentially for me and for mm-hmm. those like me, yeah. but yet 42 States. So clearly I'm, I'm interested. What did you feel or, or, or at least learned since starting good grit that helps you understand the Southern culture or the Southern stories, at least resonating with people in 42 States. Actually, I've, so we have subscribers in 48 states. Correct me. Come on. So, yeah, so even, so I'm even more curious. So, so like, how yeah, I, well, yeah, I think, okay. So this is what my theory is. And this is just a theory. Um, we're not, we're not really, we haven't quite grown to a place where we can afford to audit, to be audited. Sure. And so, but we just had Stanford university in Birmingham do a pretty deep dive on like our current subscribers and people are reading people follow us on Instagram. Um, and what we learned is, of our readers are under the age of 40. Mm. Um, About 27% of our readers are outside of the South. Wow. And so here's what we realized. We thought we were going to be all authentic Southern. Like, no, it doesn't matter where you're from. We're all hungry for an authentic story. We all want to know that Kevin and I are not that different. We've both fallen down. And we both figured out how to get up and how not to wear it on our sleeve, but to keep going and understand that the moments where we fall or we fail, they don't define us. They can actually make us better. And that's really encompassing that good grit storytelling aspect is pushing it through that lens. And I think that we're understanding, yeah, we're Southerners who make a magazine, but not all of our content is necessarily Southern. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. That's fascinating. Um, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, in some ways, it's it's it feels aligned with your personal story. I mean, you you kind of talked about hey, the very reason you've done what you've done as a human being is rooted in your decision to be resilient um, in your early, you know, when you had your son and and how you wanted to to redeem that, you know, for yourself in a cool way. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So so what I mean, we're getting so close to the end here. So I, I do want to ask you. Um, there are people who are listening right now and they are leading an organization. They're working in an organization. 
that has competitors or at least has some substitutes. I mean, obviously you walked in with two well-known magazines uh, that are respected Southern living and garden and gun and, and they're probably saying, Hey, yeah, well, I think we can learn a lot from your story about how to add something unique or better in an existing market. So what would you just say to those who are listening saying, okay, all right, you know what? Yeah. You're stepping into some a place or where people are telling you it's dying. Don't do that. Or don't try that. Um, from a business perspective, we'll start there. What are some of the things you've learned you feel just transferable to any industry that might be maturing? You have to find your unique contribution Mm. because you can walk into, you know, one of my biggest frustrations with this industry that's been around for a hundred years or more um, is that everybody will tell you it has to be done a certain way because it's been done that way forever. And I'm like, no, I don't believe that. And now (laughs) there's been, there's been ups and downs and not believing that and wanting to pave our own way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say, I think identifying your unique contribution to people and being really, really intentional about going after that is important. If you're going to take a stab at a, at an, at an industry that is mature, because you need to know that you have something or even, even if it's an approach, you have to know that you have something that's unique. Mm. So you're bringing something new or you're going to take something that hasn't been reinvented in a while and reinvent it and do it really well. And with excellence. Mm. Out of curiosity, um, you know, you had a gut feeling about what your thing was, but now four years later, you've had a chance to refine it. Um, you know, you, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to do the math. I think not so long ago at this point, you all have published how many issues? 24. Yeah. So to have 24 iterations of what you do, um, in four years, how have, how have you refined or validated what that unique contribution is? Right. You say, okay, I, I had this feeling, but now we've done it 24 times. Like how, I mean, you talk about testing. I'm just curious. you know, maybe some of the check marks that you mentally go through to make sure you're staying true to the unique contribution to the people who are, who are reading the magazine. Uh, Well, I think one, a a big thing is this, having a team that you give a voice to, Mm. um, that's been huge for us. Like it's the first thing I tell people when they start is, Hey, nobody gives you a seat at the table. You take the seat at the table and then it's your job to use your voice. I'm going to give you permission to do both of those things take your seat at the table and use your voice. Mm. I didn't hire you because I wanted you to hang out and sit quietly in a corner. I hired you because I think you're smart. And in some ways I think you're smarter than me. Um, so giving people around you who you trust a voice and a seat at your table to speak into those things. Um, the other thing I would say is I have many mentors in this industry. Mm. And I have the ones who will call me out and be like, why is that in there? I mean, mm. specifically that pops in my mind who just said that to me the other day. And I was like, because it's so-and-so. And he's like, all right, I'm going to let it slide. But, you know, having people, you give permission to call you on the mat and ask mm. you really hard questions, you know, and I do that in every category of my life. If it's a business, if it's personal, I have a business coach, I have a, I have mentors that are in this industry and who have way more experience than I do. Um, and I don't always agree with them, mm-hmm. but I never, ever underestimate their advice to me. Hmm. That's powerful. Okay. So last two questions. Uh, this is the one, I think the one I was really excited about asking you as well, because of what you've talked about your story. 
if you, so Laura Quick of 2019, get okay. to go back to Laura of 2015, mm-hmm. what are you telling her? Like, I mean, I mean, and it might mean, yes, it can be inspirational too. So I love to hear the inspirational stuff, but also like just even the simple things like, okay, hey, this is the brick wall. You can, you're going to get through it, but hey, if, if I, you know, just go ahead and go this direction. So I'd be love, interested to hear just what you would think would you want to share with yourself four years ago? Mm, okay. So I think uh, I would give her three pieces of advice. The first piece of advice, I would say greatness does not happen in isolation. Mm, that's good. Um, and as a creative and, and a leader, you're going to be tempted to do both. of. You're going to be tempted to go into isolation. You are going to go into isolation if you don't fight against it. Um, there was a season, you know, I had to give up everything. I gave up every luxury that I had. I had, I still had a nice car, but I was living in what we now lovingly refer to as the Harry Potter apartment. Hmm. Um, my son was at boarding school. People look at you like you've got three heads if you're a single mom and you send your kid to boarding school in the South. Right. Um, and I, people thought I had this fancy life, but really my life was like, I was very, very lonely. Hmm. And my sister told me, Hey, you've got, you have got to go find a community of people. Um, and so find yourself a community of grit, people Mm. who will pour into you and find some people you can pour into. It's, it's the only way we continue to grow. That's the first thing. The second thing I would tell her is, um, do not be naive enough to believe that you can go and learn all of the things instead find people who are business partners. So I have two business partners both of them, well, until recently were completely silent. I would have told her your second business partner needs to be someone who's really good at the business side of this company. Mm. Who understands vision and has an operations mind because that is not your strength. Mm. <laughs> um, and then the third piece of advice I would give her is quiet all of the noise. Mm. Can you expound on that for us? So the noise is the, the people who are not in the arena with you, as Brene Brown would say, yep. do not get to tell you that you're crazy. They do not get to tell you that you're ridiculous for giving up your job or the lucrative career. Like they don't get to say that. If you have people in the arena, that's your community. Mm. But the noise are the people who just want to talk to hear themselves talk and to make you feel small and second guess and question yourself. And if I would have figured out how to shut that down in the beginning, I, I think we would be even further than we are today. Wow. So, and we say the arena, you know, maybe the mentors, the community, the, the, your team, your employees, I mean, mm-hmm. th- those who are in the arena with you. I think, yeah, I think being really strategic about building that community and being specific. And most of the way that we build our community is by understanding our own value system. Sure. If I know my values, it's going to be much easier for me to find people that I trust to speak into me and that I will give them permission to hold me accountable to what this value is. Right. So um, those are the three pieces of advice I would give her. That's powerful. I think, I mean, I think that's, that's, and I think for anybody who's listening, um, you know, besides, you know, obviously being clear on, clear in that domain for your life, I think that um, if you feel like you don't have influence with your leader today and yet you have this entrepreneurial idea, I think you might need to ask yourself, what can I do to make sure my leader knows I'm in the arena with them or her, him or her? You know, I think, I think, I think that's, I mean, I, I'm just being candid about that. I think, I think back my own experience to say there's probably times where, 
the leader I was serving was like, is Kevin really with me? Cause he, cause he's yeah. so, he's so opinionated. He might feel like it's opposition um, as opposed to support and a peer or a person who has their, has their vision in mind and has their back. So that's powerful. All right, Laura. So last question um, besides, you know, you thank I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I love being here with you. I appreciate it. Okay. So how can people connect with you? How can they connect with the amazing work of good grit magazine? Um, yeah. If they want to continue to follow this journey. Well, I think the easiest way would be our website. We would love for people to subscribe. And right now you can use the code Laura, L-A-U-R-A, which is the only code that gives you $15 off of your year subscription, which knocks it down to $24.95. I love for people to follow along on my Instagram, my personal Instagram, which is just Laura L. Quick um, or Good Grit Mag on Instagram, Facebook, uh, website, goodgritmag.com. We'd love to have you. Uh, and that's, that's where you can find me. I'm on LinkedIn, but I've blocked myself like 20 times. So I just started again. Don't judge me. Fair enough. <laughs> well, you know what? She also, they also have a really great podcast too, where they, uh, let you hear like these really cool stories that are narrated uh, as well, which are really cool. So I got a chance to check that out and I think you'll enjoy that as well. So for those who are interested, first of all, in, in hearing these incredible stories, people who have, you know, taken their fair share of, of challenges and, and converted it into something that's magical to push them forward. You can check out good grit magazine, Laura. Thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kevin. Hey, my pleasure. Okay. So if you want to hear some of this, obviously we have some great takeaways from Laura today. If you go to launchuniversity.com forward slash podcast, that's launchuniversity.com forward slash podcast. We've done all the work for you. So if you're driving, if you're working out, if you're in a carpool line, wherever you are, and you're like, hey, she said a link. I'm not sure what it was. She mentioned a really great, uh, you know, takeaway. I want to make sure I caught that. We did all the work. We put summaries together on our website. We can get all this and then go click the link and follow Laura right from there. We even recap and remind you of this, of the promo code. You don't forget it. And so that's how we make sure we help you out while you're doing this. You can also subscribe to this podcast as well. And you can leave a rating or review and listen how we can improve it for you going forward. So thank you again for being a part of the Launch University community. We look forward to having you join us next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.